It's pretty behind the scenes. A lot of people aren't aware of how many hours and how much energy they put into this kind of thing. And especially in a day where there are so many ministries and so many churches that have fallen to financial impropriety, they've fallen into financial scandal, they've fallen into any sort of financial immorality, people are skeptical of churches at times, with how churches handle their money. And we are blessed to have an admin team that is full of integrity, that is full of honesty, and they work their butts off to make sure that every single dollar here is spent in a way that glorifies God. And we do it in a way that is transparent. That's why we have this meeting. So thank you to the admin team. Thank you to all the people who put so much work into that. And we hope that you will be here after the service to uh, ask questions and have a say about what it is uh, that our money will be used to do. So with that, we are in the second week of a four-week series going through Luke chapters 1 and 2, looking at the birth of Jesus. Now, the Christmas season is often a season where churches will use a sermon series or will use some sort of uh, Christmas theme to promote some sort of movement, to start some kind of campaign, to begin a new program of sorts. And the truth is, we're not doing that here at Prairie View this year. Maybe we'll do it in the future. You never know. We're not knocking churches that do things like that, but we're not doing it this year. This year, we're simply looking at the story. We're simply looking at Luke chapters 1 and 2 looking at the birth of Jesus. And we're doing this for a couple different reasons. Big reason number one that we're doing this is that as we talked last week, the birth of Jesus is still 100% relevant to you and to me this very day. The birth of Jesus is an earth-shattering moment that is relevant to every single aspect of our lives. It's relevant to how we speak, how we live, how we spend our money, where we go to school, what kind of careers we find ourselves working in. Every single aspect of our lives is affected by the birth of this baby 2,000 years ago across the world. It is 100% relevant to you where you are today, no matter where you are today or what it is that you're dealing with today. The second big reason we're simply reading the story and looking at the story is that I think at times we don't always know the story as well as we think we do. Because we have this hodgepodge of things that we hear and we assume that we know the story. We throw in a few Christmas sermons from time to time and then we throw in a little Charlie Brown Christmas special and then we throw in Santa and we mix it all together and we say this is what Christmas is all about and this is how Jesus was born and this is where he was born and this is why he was born. When really we might not know the story quite as well as we think we do. There are things about the story that we might overlook intentionally or unintentionally. There are preconceived notions that we might have that we bring into the story And we don't even realize we do it. But we're looking at the story because we, as followers of Christ, are called to know the story. And so we're looking at it, making sure that we know it as well as we possibly can, refreshing it in our minds, making sure we know it in and out as best as possible. Now, last week, we talked about our group of characters. We talked about John the Baptist, who would be born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. We talked about Jesus, who would be born to Mary and Joseph, mainly focusing on the parents. And we learned a lot about them. We learned that Zechariah and Elizabeth were a wonderful couple, a good couple, a God-honoring couple. 
Elizabeth came from a very nice family background, very respectable family background. Zechariah was a priest faithfully serving God, walking upright and pursuing righteousness. They were a great couple. But there was one problem with this couple. They didn't have a baby. And in that day, people incorrectly assumed that if you were married and you didn't have a child, then clearly you must have done something to get God mad at you. Because you should have a baby. That's what married people do. And if you don't have a baby, then clearly you have some sort of hidden sin that you haven't repented for. You did something in the past, and God is punishing you for it. And thus, when you went out to the market, Elizabeth probably heard the whispers. Elizabeth probably saw the glares of people wondering, you know, I wonder what they did. I wonder what she did. I wonder why and how she messed up. The stigma that she had to deal with must have been overbearing at times. We talked about Mary and Joseph. Mary, this young girl, probably in her early teenage years, around 14 years old, going on about her life, trying to just live a normal life, trying to just honor God like everybody else. But then Mary gets a message from Gabriel, the same angel that went to Zechariah announcing John's birth. And Gabriel tells Mary that, Mary, you're going to be pregnant. I know you're a virgin, but you're going to be pregnant. And it's going to be by the Holy Spirit. And this baby that is born to you is not just going to be any ordinary baby. He's going to be something unlike the world has ever seen before. Now, naturally, Mary has some questions about this. She's engaged to Joseph, but she's not married yet. And so she's wondering how she's going to explain that to him. She's wondering how she's going to explain that to her friends and to her family. You see, the whole Holy Spirit explanation, if you tried it today, probably wouldn't go very far. But this is a situation she finds herself in. And ultimately, her response is that, you know what, God? If this is how you want me to obey you, if this is how you've chosen me to follow you, then you know what? It doesn't matter how awkward it is. Doesn't matter how strange it may seem. Doesn't matter how difficult of a position this puts me in explaining this to Joseph. If this is what you want me to do, God, okay, I'm in. We looked at these characters and we discovered that they really aren't a lot different than we are. Now that brings us to where we are today in Luke chapter 1. We're picking up in the second half of Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. Before we get there, I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've blessed us with. Thank you that the birth of Jesus is still so relevant to us today. The birth of Jesus has something to say about our joys, our sorrows, our fears, our anxieties, our insecurities, our stress. God, all of it. Thank you that Jesus was born. Thank you that we have the privilege of reading your word and reading about this event that truly turned the world upside down. And God, we look forward to the return of your son, Jesus. God, I pray that as we read about these characters, we'll realize that they aren't a whole lot different than we are, that they aren't superheroes that we have no way of relating to. No, you've used people just like us in the past, and I'm confident that you will use people like us in the future here at Prairie View. God, we love you, we give you the honor, we give you the glory, we give you the praise, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.
If you have a Bible with you, open up to Luke chapter 1, verse 39. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to use one of the ones in the chair underneath you or maybe to your right, to your left. We'll also have verses up on the screen if you'd like to follow along that way. And if you don't own a Bible, make sure you grab one from the welcome desk before you leave today. We want to make sure you leave with one. So, Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Mary and Elizabeth are distant relatives. Elizabeth's a little bit farther along in her pregnancy than Mary is. And Mary goes to visit her. You can imagine that Zechariah is a little bit stressed out with all of the estrogen that is in this room at one time with two pregnant women. But they go and visit each other. They're hanging out. And when Mary walks in and says something to Elizabeth, the baby leaps in her womb. Now, when Olivia was pregnant with Javen, we would often do this thing where when she was about seven months along, we would try and put our hands on her stomach and we would try to talk to Javen. And we'd say, okay, Javen, if you love daddy, kick my hand. Okay? And sometimes he would, sometimes he wouldn't. But when he did, we would get all giddy, and we would get all excited, and I would think to myself, oh my gosh, Javen is even born yet, and he already understands the concept of love. It's unbelievable. And we would get all excited. And now as I look back on it, I realize, you know, it probably was a coincidence. I probably had my hand at the right exact place, and he just happened to kick right at that place right after I said something. He probably didn't really understand the concept of love. At least I don't think he did. But what we see here is that Elizabeth says the baby leaps in her womb. And this is not a coincidence. This is not one of those moments where the baby just happens to kick at the right moment and Elizabeth gets all excited. No, this is absolutely on purpose. This is no accident. The baby, Elizabeth, Mary, they're all so joyful for what is coming. But Elizabeth says something else as well. She says, blessed are you among women to Mary. Now, Elizabeth knows a little something about being blessed. She was barren, and God has given her her baby John, and she's looking forward to his birth, and she knows that he's going to be a very special baby. But Elizabeth effectively says to Mary, Mary, you are the most blessed woman in all of creation. And Elizabeth knows something about being blessed. Why would Elizabeth say this? Because even here, even before John is born, even before Jesus is born, Elizabeth, through the Holy Spirit, recognizes that there's something different about Jesus. And that Jesus will be even greater than her miracle baby. Jesus will be something unseen before. Jesus will be greater than John. And Mary is blessed, and Elizabeth realizes it. She says, what privilege do I have that the mother of my Lord 
should come to me, the mother of my Lord. This is no ordinary baby. Mary naturally is going to respond to this. In verse 46, we see her response. This is called the Magnificat, this famous passage of Mary's song, Mary's praise about Jesus. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary never loses sight of just how blessed she is. She never gets full of herself. She never walks into a public place and says, um, excuse me, everybody, uh, mother of Jesus. <laughs> I know I don't have a reservation, but uh, mother of Jesus. She never has that attitude. She's always humble. She always understands that this is nothing that she earned. This is nothing that she did. She was just going on about her life like everybody else. And God, in his grace, picked her to do something amazing, to do something that no one else would have the privilege of doing, being the mother of the Son of God. And Mary never seems to lose sight of that. She always counts herself blessed. She always gives the credit to God. She refers to her as herself as a humble servant. The humility that Mary shows is amazing. Pick up in verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary can't get enough of singing of God's mercy, the mercy that is shown from generation to generation to those who fear him. She sings of his strength, how God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And she says that he's brought down the mighty. He's exalted the humble. He's fed the hungry. The rich have been sent away. What we see here is that this birth truly is turning the world upside down. Everything that as we know it will never be the same. Things will be different. This baby is going to do something amazing, something that the world has never even seen before. The world is being turned upside down. But not only that, Jesus is the continuation of something that started way, way, way before Mary. Some people look at the Old Testament and the New Testament and they say, well, God's Old Testament plan failed, and so he had to come up with plan B to save people and accomplish his purpose. Therefore, he sent Jesus. This was kind of the backup plan. Well, that simply isn't an accurate look at Scripture. Jesus is a continuation of things that have happened way before he was ever a twinkle in Mary's eye. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, one of the most important passages in Scripture. In that passage, we see the promise to Abram. Verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Mary says at the end of that Magnificat that God is fulfilling his promise as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is no plan B. This is plan A. Jesus is the fulfillment of all those promises that Abraham didn't get to see, that many of his offspring didn't get to see. They couldn't even wrap their minds around just how big this promise was. And God is faithful. God keeps that promise. He doesn't fail. He doesn't have to come up with plan B. He knows exactly what he's doing with Jesus. God keeps his promises. Look at Psalm 105, verses 8 and 9. The psalmist writes basically the same thing that Mary writes. Verse 8, he remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham. His sworn promise to Isaac. The story is still being written. This is the story that is being fulfilled from Genesis 3. The answer to sin, the answer to the garden, the answer to the fall of man is seen in this baby's face. It isn't plan B. It's the continuation of the story. And Mary, she gets to be a part of it. Mary then leaves. She goes home and John the Baptist is born to Elizabeth. And all the neighbors and all the friends and all the family are celebrating that the Lord had shown great mercy to Elizabeth. And they plan to circumcise the baby after eight days, which is exactly what Jewish custom would have them do. And on this day, they ask Elizabeth what the baby's name is going to be. They assume that they'll probably name it Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth says, no, we're not going to name him Zechariah. We're going to name him John. And the people... I'm a little bit confused by this. Well, then they turn to old Zechariah. Poor old Zechariah. If you remember what happened to Zechariah, when he received the message from Gabriel that his wife would become pregnant, that he would be the father of this amazing baby who would prepare the way for the Lord, Zechariah had a little tiny bit of doubt. And thus Gabriel made him deaf and made him mute, made him silent. And Zechariah has been silent ever since. So look at verse 62. They made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. The baby is born, just like God said he would be born. He's named John, just the way God told them to name him John. And the people realize that there's going to be something different about this baby. They wonder what he will do. Who is he going to be? What's different about this one? Well, Zechariah doesn't hesitate to answer that question. Look at verse 67. 
His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. You see there, just like Mary, Zechariah knows that these births that are coming, the birth of John, the birth of Jesus, they're no accident. They're they're the continuation of what has already happened, the covenant that was made, the promise that was given, that God is clearly going to keep. Pick back up in verse 73. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. I love what Zechariah says in verse 78, comparing Jesus to the sunrise, and John will prepare the way for the sunrise. Zechariah knows exactly what John will do. He exactly knows that his son has been sent to prepare the way, to get people ready for what God is about to do in the baby Jesus. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 and 5. Generations before John is ever born, Isaiah says this. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When this baby is revealed, people will be able to see God, and all flesh will see it together. And Isaiah says that the valleys will be lifted up, the hills will be brought low. Once again, Isaiah realizes that this baby will turn the world upside down. This baby is no ordinary baby. Like we've already talked about. Zechariah gets this. Hopefully the neighbors and the relatives who hear Zechariah saying this now get this. But I kind of have to wonder. If you're Zechariah's parents. I'm sorry, John's parents. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Or maybe if you're John himself. Do you ever sit back and kind of think, you know, I wish I wasn't always in second place. I wish I wasn't always living in Jesus' shadow. I wish that maybe once my name could be the big name, that my name would be up in lights, that people would be excited about my coming, not just Jesus' coming, that maybe someone could be sent to prepare the way for me. Because all I get to do is make paths straight. John doesn't get a lot of glory. John doesn't get a lot of credit. John doesn't get many accolades. And I wonder, is there ever any bitterness there? Ever any jealousy? Ever any hurt feelings there? Well, doesn't seem to be. Look at John chapter 3, 
verse 27. Several of John's disciples come to him. This is years later. And they're concerned that many of the people are starting to flock to Jesus instead of flocking to John. In fact, some of John's own disciples will eventually leave John and flock to Jesus instead. So John's disciples come to him and they bring this concern to his attention. And look at John's response. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. I like the way the NIV puts it. It says, he must become greater and I must become less. John the Baptist never seemed to have that jealousy. He never seemed to have that anger. He never seemed to have that bitterness. He seems to have truly embraced his role as the one who would prepare the way for Jesus. He's the kind of person who's never bringing the attention to himself. He's never trying to get the accolades. He doesn't want his name up in lights. Instead, John is pointing to the horizon. And he's saying, guys, don't look at me. Look over there. Look at the horizon because the sunrise, it's coming. And it's the most beautiful thing that you will ever see. Trust me on this. When you see this sun, when you see the light that is coming into the world, you'll know exactly why I'm not bitter. You'll know exactly why I'm not jealous. You'll know exactly why all I ever talk about is this sun that's coming into the world. John doesn't get bitter. John doesn't get angry. He embraces his role, and he always points to Jesus. He always points to what's coming after him. Last week, we talked about the faith of Mary, how Mary had the incredible faith to where no matter what kind of awkward position God puts her in, no matter how terrible the circumstances may seem to the people around her, Mary says, let it be to me according to your word. Mary says, God, if this is how you want to do things and that makes me a little bit uncomfortable, then so be it. I'll be uncomfortable. Well, look at John. Look at the humility of John. I think we actually have a lot in common with John because in a way, we kind of have the same responsibility that John has. When we become followers of Christ, we're called to point to the horizon, to take people's eyes off of us and get their eyes on Jesus, to constantly tell them about this sunrise that is coming, this light that has come into the world that they can see and we can see. And it's so good that when we see it, we can't help but want other people to see it too. We have that same responsibility to point to the horizon, to point out the sunrise that's coming. Because when you see it, you won't need anything else. It's the best thing you'll ever see, the best thing you'll ever lay your eyes on. And you won't want people's eyes on you anymore. You'll want their eyes to be on Jesus. I pray that we can have that kind of humility that we can be people who are constantly pointing people's eyes away from ourselves and pointing their eyes at Jesus instead. I pray that we can be that kind of church because the sunrise has come and it's beautiful 
It's glorious. And how could we ever want to look at anything else? Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7. Solomon writes, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. If Solomon was saying that about the regular old sun, imagine what Solomon would have thought about this sunrise that was coming. The sunrise that John was talking about. Now that being said, there were moments where it seemed like the sunrise maybe wasn't all that great. There were people who followed Jesus, but then when things got tough, when Jesus said something controversial, they left him. Jesus wasn't always the most popular guy in the world. And in fact, when Jesus is crucified on a cross, it may appear as though that sunrise went down. The sunrise didn't stay up forever. It was good while it lasted, but it didn't last forever. We knew it was too good to be true. Many people were probably thinking. But here's the thing. That sun rose again. And when he rose again, the light was brighter than it had ever been before. Because sins were forgiven. Grace could be experienced. Reconciliation could happen between God and man. The sunrise may have appeared to go down for a little while, but it came up brighter than it ever was before. I pray that every single one of us will be like John, be pointing people to Jesus, pointing people to the sunrise, because it's worth looking at. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the fact that you have sent your light into the world. Thank you that, like Mary and like Joseph and like Zechariah and Elizabeth, God, we're just normal people. We're messed up. We're flawed. Sometimes we do some things right, but often we do a lot of things wrong. God, I pray that in spite of our flaws, in spite of our insecurities, in spite of our issues, You still find a way to use us. In your grace, God, you find a way to use us for your glory. God, I pray that we can have the faith of Mary. The kind of faith that says no matter how uncomfortable it may be, no matter how awkward the position you put us in, we'll obey you and we'll follow you at all costs. I pray that we can be like John, especially in this season when So many eyes are looking to presents and sales and bank accounts, Christmas trees. God, I pray that we can point people's eyes to Jesus. That we can show people just how glorious he is. God, thank you that you sent your son not just to be born and live an amazing life. But God, you sent your son to be born and live an amazing life, but then die a gruesome death. And that death, it wasn't meaningless. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a cruel tragedy. It was glorious. God, I pray that through that death, through that broken body, through that shed blood, in spite of our sin, we can be reconciled to you. And God, when we see that, the most beautiful thing that we'll ever lay our eyes on, God, we love you. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. We simply thank you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
Maybe you haven't seen the sunrise yet. Maybe you look at your life, you look at the world around you, and you feel like there's nothing but darkness. A couple of our elders will be standing at the side of the room. They'd be happy to talk to you about placing your faith in Christ. Maybe you have something you'd like to pray about. Maybe you have questions about our church. They'd be happy to do that with you as well. So take advantage of that.